The Portland International Blues Festival is one of the premier summer parties in Portland, Oregon. It's been happening every 4th of July since 1988. That is, except for last year, of course. But the festival is back again for 2021 with some changes. My guests today are veterans of the production. Peter Damon, artistic director, and Christina Fuller, the festival's producer, on this episode of Times Like Now. Thank you for joining me on the program today. So, Portland International Blues Festival. This will be the 34th annual, if I'm correct there. And uh, Christina, your position as fest producer, festival producer, how long have you been doing this for the festival? Been in this role, this will make the fourth um, festival, although we've had a couple untraditional festivals here in a row. And I think it'll be my 15th year working on the festival in some capacity or another. And Peter, same question to you. How long have you been with uh, this festival as the artistic director? Um, I have been artistic director since 1994. I played the very first festival. but So I've been at every festival. That's exciting. Job That's security. Great. Who would yeah. have thought a career yeah. path? So uh, some of the changes that are happening this year, obviously uh, you guys are making some COVID uh, um situations safer and, and doing some of that. Tell me some of the changes. I know you're going to be at, is it pronounced Zydell Yards? Yeah, we are going to be at Zydell Yards, which is about uh, a mile upriver from where we normally are down in Waterfront Park. And it ended up being a great alternative to make sure that the festival carries on. Um, I think when we started, I mean, most folks potentially don't understand or realize that planning a festival of this size is a year round venture. And that Peter oftentimes is working years in advance of actually working to recruit, um, you know, and bring folks to, to Portland. So we had to start thinking about what does the 2021 festival look like? last year and start coming up with some creative solutions with truly the the lack of a crystal ball to know what gatherings would look like come summer of 2021. And so um, we ended up being able to utilize Zydell Yards, which is a private property right in downtown Portland with great access, but a ton of flexibility to truly create a space simply to address the, you know, the challenges and of, of producing an event during a pandemic. And so um, we are a new format, new location for this year, and are hopeful that um, we're back to Waterfront Park next year in 2022. That was going to be my next question. You're, you will go back to the, to the traditional location. Fingers crossed. Yes, we are hopeful to go back to what we call its, you know, usual and proper home down in Waterfront Park. So I noticed uh, some new nonprofits you're working with this year. Who are some of those and, and what and how did that come about? Yeah, last year we actually started partnering with Meals on Wheels people um, when we did, again, a kind of a, a really cool mix up of creative ways to make sure the festival carried on in 2020. And that just carries on the tradition that the festival has had for decades of fighting hunger and Meals on Wheels people. Um, brings food to seniors who, during a pandemic, not only were still working and fighting against food insecurity, but social isolation, which was at an ultimate high 
not only for seniors, but so many of us that were, you know, at home and, and separated. And so Meals on Wheels People is back for its second year in partnership. Granted, they haven't seen a usual festival yet, but are thrilled to be partnering with them this year. And new to the the festival's kind of official partnership, although they've been in the periphery and supporting so many of our local musicians over the last decade, is the Jeremy Wilson Foundation, who provides uh, musician health care and services for um, music industry personnel in Vancouver and Portland and um, our home. And so many people within our network have utilized the resources of them, of what the foundation has been doing. And it was a great opportunity for us this year to have them come alongside the festival, um, which has always been a strong employer of local musicians, a huge platform for folks to take the stage with a big audience and, um, you know, full production and value and, you know, give give this opportunity to really be made known and and make friends as well for the Jeremy Wilson Foundation to be connected more prominently in association with the Blues Festival this year. So we're we're really pumped to be working with Meals on Wheels people and the Jeremy Wilson Foundation this year. Yeah, that is exciting. I've uh, known Jeremy for some time and in fact used to enjoy seeing his rock and roll band back in the old days, the Dharma Bones. <laughs> Um, yeah. Peter, a little bit about your background. You said you played in the first blues festival. Tell me what year that was. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that was like an 80, what, 88, I think. 88. Okay. So I came to Portland in 1980 to work for Willamette Week as a writer, staff writer. And I did that for a few years. And I was freelancing for the Oregonian uh, Sunday magazine. And I was doing a, researching a piece on Robert Crayband just before he won all of his, his first Grammy, sort of as he was on the way, really on the way out of the Northwest. And the piece was about how did this major league blues guy come out of the Pacific Northwest, which is not an area of the country known for the blues up to that point. So I was going around to bands and in, uh, interviewing people, and I was interviewing the Paul Delay Band, and they had just lost their guitar player, and were having open auditions for the guitar spot. So halfway through the interview, I said, "You know, I grew up in Chicago playing in a high school blues band. I'm going to go home and get my guitar, and I'll come down and sit in." And they kind of went, "Oh my God, are you kidding me?" <laughs> the newspaper reporters, going, all right, I'll maybe in the last tune. So I went home, got the guitar, sat in, and I got the gig. So I went on the road with the band. I had to give up the idea of doing the article because I had a conflict of interest at that point. Um, and uh, that was sort of temporary, but eventually they gave me the, the, the full-time gig in the band. So I did that for a couple of years. Um, at some point, um, the 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 guy who had been booking the festival was moving on into a different uh, job at the Oregon food bank at that point. And they called me up and they said, okay, we want you to start booking the festival. And I said, I don't want to do that. And they said, well, you're the only guy we know who knows how to um, write press releases and to <laughs> use PageMaker and to do, to work on a Mac. I had like an early, early generation Macintosh computer. Ah. So this is my like foot in the door. 
anyway, they offer um, Clay Fuller offered me the job. I turned it down. He offered me the job again. I turned it down again. Took me out, out to lunch again, and I finally went, okay, 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 I'll do it. So um, I said I'd do it for one year, and that was like I don't know, <laughs> 27 years ago. And, you know, when I, when, I joined, when I joined the band and sort of quit my journalism job, my parents kind of almost had heart attacks. It was like, wait a minute. You went to college to join a blues band? You know, what, what did we do this for? So don't worry. I'm only going to do it for like six months. Get it out of my system. And that was, you know, that was like 30 years ago. So here I am. They say the rest and, is history, and, right? And been doing a fantastic job. The Portland Blues Festival obviously is a, is renowned now, as is the blues and jazz scene uh, in Portland, Oregon, and in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Robert Cray, as you mentioned, and Paul DeLay, of course, Curtis Elgato. I've seen those bands going way back to, I'm not sure if I was at the show in 88, but I know that by 90 and 91, I was attending. Um mm-hmm. Great shows. Uh, those were some of the best. Norman Sylvester is performing this year. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. One of my you favorites. Betcha. One of my favorites. Um, so a little bit about the precautions or the changes that are going on due to COVID. Where are you now in this, now that we are at this level or this phase? How is the Blues Festival going to be doing things? I noticed there's tickets this year and not cans of food. Go into that. Is there going to be a numbers? Like how many people are going to be allowed in each day and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, we moved to tickets a handful of years ago, too. So that concept is not totally new to, to our fans. But um, it's going to be limited capacity. We're doing seating for 600 per show. So instead of a full festival all day, every day, we're doing two shows a day, July 2nd through 5th, an afternoon and evening show, but are still programming them, these four-hour windows, in a festival format with nonstop music for those four hours. Um, and again, these were decisions that we made months ago that we have to and are thankful that, you know, the kind of the the skies are parting and it really does seem that things are getting better and the light at the end of the tunnel is there so that we can do an amazing, you know, live music experience. Although it looks different, we're going to be in seating pods with your group. We're at a new venue, you know, all limited capacity. The best practices that we've all gotten used to over the last year and a half will be in place. But I think once the music starts, that part will kind of melt away and people will get sucked up into the music. So um, new format, again, like you said, just for, for COVID and for these times. But what it allows us is to have a festival if we had to wait and try to make it work at, you know, the old model, it would mean a year off and we didn't want to take another year off. And so we were, um, we're grateful that we have a, a great alternative um, to, to make sure that the show show carries on. Yeah. Any other uh, standout things that people should know when they arrive? I think people will be pleasantly surprised at, at a different <clears throat> format in different location. Um, so many of us are used to what it looks like in Waterfront Park, and it's so perfectly situated in the bowl, grassy slopes, all of that that we love, it kind of the bridge setting that we're used to. 
We have two bridges down here. It looks different, but again, I think this, the spirit and the magic, and there's always been this element to the Blues Fest that people can't quite pinpoint. Like you have this equation, you've got stage, you've got act, you've got crowd, and then there's this other element that people can't ever pin down of why the Water from Blues Fest is magic. I think that will still be there this year and will still come out because it's it's this it's this community, it's this family, it's 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 more than just a festival, and I'm. I feel that it'll be here this this year as well, especially after a year off where people are even more eager to get together and kind of, quote unquote, get the band back together. Will there be fireworks? There will not be fireworks, unfortunately. We tried to think of whatever creative ways we can do. Um, one of the amazing things in normal years are the you know crowds that fill the streets and the bridges and the parks and the Markham Bridge and everyone just flocks together and this is the year to not really have unintended gatherings of lots of people. And so again, we had to make that decision to do no fireworks this year, unfortunately, but next year, next year, of course, next I'm year, glad, I'm glad to see you're, you're sticking, sticking to it and uh, going forward. Yeah. It's, it's uh, that's Portland's uh, motto of sorts, you know, we're going to, you know, mm-hmm. keep the party going. Uh, Peter, a little bit about some of the acts that are going to be coming this year. What can you tell us about that? Some of the locals and some of the nationals and, and who's coming to town? Well, I, I booked these um, shows the way I've sort of tried to book the whole festival, which is to sort of push the the envelope of the blues genre and kind of give people a range of experiences within that genre. So we have kind of some uh, real traditional blues represented in each concert and then we have some pretty modern kind of r&b funk represented too so it's all it's pretty eclectic and that's um it's partly so that i will remain interested when i'm down there it's like i program this for myself mostly Uh, i'm just kidding um yeah give me some uh, give me some of the names well uh for the locals we have um you had mentioned Norman Sylvester. He's played, I think, every year since the festival started. I think so. I think so. Um, I put together some sort of all-star collaborations just to try to get more representation uh, into onto our stage. So we have um, Lloyd Jones is sitting in with the Bayou Boys. Uh, Karen Lovely will be playing with Ben Rice. Um I have this new collaboration with uh, this band called Orbit, which is just a phenomenal, really great R&B, modern soul band, kind of, um, with Sarah Clark, LaRonda Steele, and Arietta Ward are all going to be featured in that with that band. So that'll be a new way of seeing those singers, those vocalists, all really strong vocalists, backed by really cool, cutting-edge band uh march 4th is going to be back on the 4th of july oh that's Um, fantastic great yeah yeah they've they've um they've hit it out of the park for us many years in fact they i think they did their first big gig at waterfront park at at a waterfront blues festival i'd seen them you know playing on the streets somewhere and i thought yeah that would work at waterfront Oh yeah, up and down, up and down Alberta Street, or up and down Hawthorne. Yeah, right. Exactly. 
Yeah. And, you know, now they're off playing big major rock festivals all over yeah. the country, or they had been until COVID. Um, Northwestern Women in Rhythm and Blues have a bunch of um, regional female vocalists being featured in that. Um, I'm bringing in a, a Mississippi guy, uh, Johnny Rawls. He's a Mississippi soul blues artist who's won a lot of big national um, blues awards in the last few years. He'll be backed by a um, a group of, of great local players. Um, ben Rice again, Devin Phillips on sax, Lisa Mann will be playing bass with him. Um, it was interesting trying to get national acts for this event because when I started working on this back in the early <clears throat> spring, you know, in the winter, nobody was planning to come to the Northwest. Nobody was planning to come. They were trying to come to the Northwest and they say, okay, that sounds fun. Yeah, sure. Put us on the, you know, tentatively we'll be, we'll be there. So a month later they would call me, the agent would call me back and say, you know, there are no other gigs in the Northwest. We can't come up there. We can't put it together. We're going to have to pull out of the deal. And that, and we ran into uh, several several of those kind of scenarios, but we did finally, um, you know, we we circled around. And we found some some of our friends from down south. Uh, Mark Broussard is coming up from Louisiana, a great Bayou soul singer. Oh yeah, uh, Samantha, yeah. Samantha Fish is coming uh, back. She was a big hit um, a few years ago at Waterfront. Up and coming, kind of. Um, you know, cross. She's crossing a lot of genres these days. Um, Ghost Note is going to be closing on the fifth. Ghost Note is one of the coolest bands I've seen the last few years. They're that they were started by the drummer and percussionist from Snarky Puppy, and they pulled in a lot of other really high level players. And it they just that's going to be kind of the musical highlight for me of the festival right there. I'm pretty sure. Um, Little Village Foundation is a really interesting new label that um, records sort of under under the radar acts deserving of wider recognition, and they give all of every sense that of everything that is sold directly to the artists. It's a really interesting model. They've, they have um, broken, you know, ha um, half dozen uh, acts in the blues world over the last couple of years that have really taken off. And it's been interesting. Anyway, they're bringing up um, Sonny Green and Tia Carroll to um, soul singers backed by um, a Bay area, all-star band. Well, I saw that. Cool. Uh, I saw that Curtis is going to be there. Curtis Delgado. Yes, that's that's their community <clears throat> kickoff concert on Thursday night. Community kickoff is that at a different location, or, or is that somehow different? No, I think I'll let Christina talk about that one a little bit. Same same location, just the night before the traditional festival starts. One of the opportunities that had, you know, came 
came to light at a new venue is the flexibility on scheduling in Waterfront Park. We're, we're pretty dialed in, in and out schedule with a certain amount of days. And um, being down here at Zydell Yards, we realized we've got a window to to have, you know, make more music happen and and also do good for some organizations that have been working tirelessly during the pandemic. And so um, the idea came to be to do a, a charity concert for our two nonprofit partners. And so Curtis will kick it off on the night of um, July 1st with a with a concert to, to raise money and awareness for, for Meals on Wheels people and Jeremy Wilson Foundation with one of one of Portland and Oregon's most beloved um, beloved humans, Curtis. That's exciting. I, um, yeah, I wish I was going to be down there for the 4th of July. This sounds like it's going to be a great, a great weekend and festival as usual. You guys always nail it. One other band that I wanted to mention, Peter, that I'm a personal fan of, and I saw on your list is Hillstomp. That's a lot of fun. Hillstomp. You know, I've been trying to get them to back to waterfront for a couple of years and actually had them on the calendar for 2020 had drawn up the contract and everything and then <clears throat> had to pull the plug. So, um, yeah, they're, ex- they're excited to come back and we're thrilled to have them back. Yeah. They're great. They're a really cool band. I, I love those guys. First time I saw them was in the basement of a house party <laughs> years ago. Well, their name comes from a song by a Mississippi blues guy named Robert Belfer. He had a song called Hill Stomp. He's one of the North Mississippi roots blues guys. He died a couple of years ago, but I <clears throat> I saw him a few times when I went down to Clarksdale, and he came up and played Waterfront a few times himself. But that's their kind of mentor. Right. The TV, radio, and streaming of this year's event. Uh, Christina, tell me a little bit about that or either of you, uh, where is it streaming? How do people find it? And, uh, yeah, anything to share? Yeah. We're, uh, you know, this year looking different and realizing that we don't have the traditional in-person reach that we have worked really hard to find ways to make sure that the festival came, came to our fans. And so, the Curtis Salgado concert will be um, aired on Coin TV down here in Portland on uh, Channel 6. All of the afternoon shows from 12 to 4 on um, July 2nd through the 5th will be on KBU, both on the air and online at KBU.fm, which is great. They've been broadcasting the festival for decades um, and so, again, so many people experience the Blues Festival in their own backyard with the radio on and their barbecue and their friends. And so the afternoon shows will be made available through KBU. And then all of the evening shows from 6 to 10 p.m. July 2nd through the 5th will be live stream on our website at waterfrontbluesfest.com. So you can get the whole effect of seeing and hearing it um, all for free. And um, that second live stream, the actual one on our website, is thanks to a, a longtime sponsor and partner, Buick GMC of Beaverton, who wanted to make sure that everybody could still see the fest this year. Are there still tickets available for any of the days? As of this exact minute, you may be able to snag a seating pod for yourself for um, the Ghost Note show on Monday, but those are those are going quickly. Uh, first, second, third, and fourth are all sold out. 
Um, but there are some seeding pods um, still for July 5th. And again, thankfully, everyone can find a way to tune in for free from home wherever they are near, near or far. Looking uh, like it's going to be a great weather event as well as a great music event. Um, sorry, no fireworks this year, but I understand. <laughs> Can't have everything, you know. Hopefully, hopefully soon, man. We would love them. They're such a, a part of of July Fourth and the festival, and it's always been something that the festivals produce themselves. And so, um, it's not cheap to put on a big old fireworks act, but. I guess that means we just have to go even bigger in 2022, right? No, I'm trying to picture this space and uh, will there be boats? I mean, that you always get a lot of boats out on the river. Will, will the boat <laughs> traffic be there? Will they be able to hear or see from, or is that yeah, too far off question. the water? It's not too far off the water. So um, the, the property is on the west side of the river, just <laughs> like Waterfront Park. And it's between the Ross Island Bridge and the Tillicum Bridge. Um, literally all the way up to the river instead of an amphitheater, which is how Waterfront Park sort of slopes down to the river. This is more of a, a riverbank. Um, so they won't have sight lines necessary, necessarily, but um, they may be able to hear. The boats are, are one of those organic parts of the festival that we don't and haven't wrangled. It's just something that happens. And so um, we will have to see what sort of um, river scene happens, uh, but I'm sure that there'll definitely be onlookers from the Tillicum Bridge, and folks will be able to to see what's what's happening down there. Oh, I'm sure the Tillicum's going to be how much how much weight can the Tillicum Bridge hold? I think we just might find out. <laughs> it can it can carry a max train, so I'm sure it can can handle some some fans. Well, congratulations on. Uh, another great festival. I'm sure it's going to be a great one. You obviously put a lot of heart, love, effort, and hard work into this for so many years. Peter and Christina, both of you really do appreciate your hard work. And I think Portland loves you for it. Well, I just, I want to just say that Tyler and Christina have gone above and beyond and kind of imagining and pulling together this social distanced version of waterfront because they it's involved reinventing every spoke in the wheel. It's really been an enormous challenge and, and um, it's, it's very cool. It's very cool. I have gone to a couple of concerts down there just as a, as a um, viewer and it's, it's really, you know, it's not the mosh pit of the front porch stage of the pat of, of that we're all familiar with. But it's really pretty delightful. I mean, you're seated there. You have somewhere to sit. You have somewhere to put your beverages. It's um, it's really kind of a nice way to enjoy an outdoor concert. No, I think I really, the change I really is. Like I think the change will be a, a good thing, and uh, who knows? Maybe you, you uh, use that for a smaller event in another <laughs> in another you know scheduled uh, event somewhere down the line. Christina and Peter, thank you so much for your time, for being a guest on the show and telling us about the Portland International Blues Festival for the 34th annual. Thanks once again. Thanks. You can get past episodes of Times Like Now wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Trevor Collins. I can be emailed trevor at timeslikenow.com. Thank you to the letter J, Cody Robertson, 
for the original music. I look forward to speaking with you next time. <laughs>